0: Welcome to At The Intersection. I'm Marian.
1: And I'm Brian. And this is a podcast about policy, culture, identity, race, and how all of those things intersect.
0: Yeah. And today we are going to be talking about the British monarchy and specifically my sort of weird perspective on it, given that I am a British citizen. I'm also a citizen of two former colonies of Britain that have two very fraught relationships with the country. And so that's what we'll be getting into today.
1: Yeah. I'm ready for this one.
0: Good. If you'd like to support the show, you can get your How Do You Want Your Reparations t-shirt and or mug at www.attheintersection.bigcartel.com. So, Brian, Queen Elizabeth II died on Thursday, September 8th at the ripe old age of 96. How are you feeling?
1: I heard her mother made it to 101.
0: Yes. So I'm a little baffled. I'm shocked. (laughs)
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't
0: That's what ha- when you have a lot of wealth and a lot of inbreeding you can live for a long time. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I feel like this started I I'm I'm a little nervous to like even do this episode because you know my disdain for <laughs> the Royals. Uh-huh. And like I just don't want like M six to be on me or M I six? M I six. I don't you know, I don't know. James Bond and M. Mm-hmm, I don't mm-hmm. I don't need them James Bond issues. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Those famous James (laughs) Bond issues. That's fine. They can't get to you. You're, you know, across the pond. Mm Yeah, it's interesting just because this year was also the year of her Platinum Jubilee, which was when the entire country and the Commonwealth kind of shut down to celebrate her 70-year reign, or 70 years since her ascension, is what they call it, to the throne. And so there was a lot of bombast and a lot of ceremony over it, and now we're in a phase of more sort of pageantry and bombast to mourn her. The country is essentially closed for two weeks of mourning. And so it's very interesting to watch all of this happen, this to see the country shut down twice in one year over one monarch and one person who was the head of what I feel like is a completely useless institution at mm-hmm. this point. But not everybody feels that way, even in my own family. My mother is very distraught over the death of the queen. So, yeah, it's interesting.
1: Yeah, I you know, I... I... Somebody said you know people die every day and that's true (laughs) and like and so it's one of those weird things where like it's one of those weird things where i think the natural at least my natural tendency is like okay when somebody passes like it's sad Mm -hmm. and we should you know they have family members they have people who are hurting who are going to lose them who are going to miss them Mm -hmm. but i mean you know by choice this person represented more than just herself for her entire life. And Mm -hmm. so I think that, like, what we're seeing, the celebration, the critique that has, you know, come out of her death is pretty squarely justified considering, you know, what the British Empire did to, to people.
0: Yeah. It's, yeah, it's very interesting, especially because the word that comes up so often when people are eulogizing her is duty. And the word that comes up probably second most frequently is stability. I've been consuming a lot of this stuff like on Twitter and it's omnipresent in the news. But people keep on talking about, you know, the stability of her 70-year reign, her sense of duty. And I've asked numerous times, what does duty mean in this case like what did she do what physically <laughs> did the queen do what was her job what were her responsibilities and how was she performing her duties and i don't feel like i've gotten any sort of substantive answers that satisfy me at all it's it's a really frustrating thing i think because i do this is going to come as a shock to you and to all of our listeners i do tend to question authority a lot <laughs> <laughs> and institutions and you know why they exist and so this has been a lot to kind of watching people process this and watching people kind of get reinvigorated about their love of the status quo and their love of this institution, yeah, it's a little alarming.
1: In, like, my quote-unquote, I'm doing air quotes, mm-hmm. in my homework.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, is this is an emergency episode, we should say. Right, right? Like, Yeah, this is... This, is
0: this is not previously <laughs> scheduled. We've we'll been playing I... this a
1: couple although, I mean, you know...
0: Came all... up to Brian at the farmer's market and was like, we have to do this episode.
1: <laughs> so in in my in my research mm-hmm. uh, i mean previously i had been consuming all of black twitter mm-hmm. and their reactions the mean this is global black twitter's reaction to to the news and then today i listened to a Vaughn podcast today explain and they did an episode on the queen's death i think maybe on friday or saturday and it was essentially it was and they named it as like, here's a perspective, we're interviewing someone, and I forgot the person's name. We're interviewing a person who can explain to us why the Queen's death is a big deal. Mm-hmm. And I kinda had to like force myself to listen to it through through it, the entire thing. And one thing that really stood out, talking about the Queen's quote unquote duties, the the person really compared it compared her the importance of her duties to that of like Kamala Harris.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Saying that you know, you know, she has civic duties and she's there for museum openings and this type of stuff. And some, the person then said, not dissimilar to what I imagine, Kamala Harris' job is, and that was re-
0: this person British or yeah, oh, yeah okay, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. So she compared it to the vice president of the United States, saying that you know her responsibilities were largely performative and ceremonial and these sorts of things. Do you think? No, I don't. I don't think that she would have compared joe biden and his vice presidency
0: well actually i was gonna ask do you think she she meant the first lady like is that what she, you no, she
1: well meant? i don't know if she meant the first i think i'm i i do not know i'm not i i think that she meant the black woman who mm-hmm. is vice president of the united mm-hmm. states who I think, could
0: not possibly have any real power i
1: think that was exactly who she was referring to today. yeah i don't think that she would have said that about Biden mm-hmm. when he was vice president. I don't think she I mean the queen does not have like I know the UK doesn't have a senate. The queen doesn't have a vote on the senate. Like Kamala arguably Kamala Harris is actually one of the most important US Vice Presidents in recent history because of the composition of the Senate. That aside, mm-hmm. it was disrespectful and and also inaccurate and also I guess I took it as like this is the crux of the issue is mm-hmm. that there's a need to create like responsibilities for this person because everybody knows it's like the Emperor's wearing no clothes like mm-hmm. she clearly has no there's no need for this thing to exist and right. so like there's just this need to recreate this narrative that like it's important for whatever reason
0: yeah thank you for allowing me to go on my rant no please i think it's very relevant because i think you know in people's defense of the queen as a specific person and i'll get into that later and the monarchy as an institution, they keep on talking about how she didn't have any real power, so you can't blame her for anything terrible that Britain did as an empire. And also that we need her because, you know, she had all of this cultural power, all of this, you know, she is a figurehead. She, She's what you said earlier, that she represents more than just herself. And it's like, OK, so is she super important or is she not super important? Do we need her? Or do we not need her? We can't let her get all of the her, you know, any monarch, get all of the privileges that come with a, you know, a hugely powerful job and also say that she has no power like she you know spider-man taught us with great (laughs) power comes great like you're responsible to somebody (laughs) like this is ridiculous but i feel like the way they have rebranded imperial power as public service and as duty is so insidious but it's also been so successful i mean her entire reign that has been the talking point duty service you know all of these responsibilities even though intentionally the responsibilities are left a bit vague and the duty and stability really mean reinforcing the status quo and reinforcing what a specific segment of the population is comfortable with and is benefiting from and it's interesting because part of that part of that duty is It requires silence on political issues that you don't know where the queen stands Mm -hmm. on anything. She does not, like you said, she's not involved actively in parliamentary decisions. Like she's not championing any legislation. She doesn't have any signature issues that she cares about besides her corgis, which has the dual effect of allowing the harm to persist. Any harm that this country does and this monarchy does, it's going to persist because, you know, She's not saying anything about it. So she's allowing it to continue happening. But it also gives her plausible deniability about any of that harm mm. because she's not really in charge. She's just a figurehead. Mm-hmm. She's just the country's grandma. So any of her loyal subjects can like project anything that they care about and anything that's important to them. They'll project it onto her and say, oh, well, you know, she really believed this. I mean, I even saw a headline talking about the queen, a quiet supporter of LGBTQ rights. And I was like... How quiet was that kept? I this is the first <laughs> <laughs> This is my first time hearing about this. <laughs> like what are you talking about? Or there's an entire almost field of study that sprang up about the subtle messages that she was she was getting across with her hats and like the designs mm-hmm. of her hats and what colors she was wearing and that sort of thing. And it's like so I'm sorry, is she like embroidering secret messages on her hats and there's no other way for her to talk about what's important to her? Like, what is the meaning of this? It's it's so frustrating. She is not held accountable to, the monarchy is not held accountable to any real political position or power, but they wield so much of it. Mm -hmm. They have so much political power. Like, roughly once a week, a country celebrates its independence from Britain. Not even its independence from its colonizer writ large, Britain specifically. Like, this expression was, the sun never sets on the British Empire for a very long time. And that's not because everybody was cute and sweet who was a king or queen. That's because of really violent imperialism. That's because of violent colonialism and an unwillingness to let that go for a really long time. Meanwhile, the queen actually did quietly lobby for her family to be exempted from Britain's transparency laws so the the government has to be transparent to a certain degree but the royal family does not and what they lobby for does not have to be transparent what they stand like where they stand does not have to be transparent Parliament also needed the queen's consent, and I imagine we'll need the king's consent now, before a legislature that affected their family, their private interests to be passed. And so if they were going to say, like, levy taxes about, <laughs> if they're going to levy any sort of new taxes that was going to impact the family fortune, they had the right to say, oh, we're withholding our consent from that.
1: What does that mean if they withhold their
0: consent? <sighs> then the legislature can't be passed. Interestingly enough, I bring up taxes because they exempted themselves from Britain's inheritance tax. And so King Charles just inherited a bunch of money because Queen Elizabeth died and he's not going to pay the 40 percent inheritance tax that is law in Britain. So that's how you reinforce the status quo. That's how you reinforce power hoarding and wealth hoarding. But, you know, again, she is Britain's grandma. She has her little corgis and she cared about duty and sacrifice
1: i've heard somewhere that she was like the first monarch to choose to pay some sort of income tax or something like that and i mean i it just it 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 was lauded as like this is the progress she's so progressive that she chose to pay income tax and it's like you chose to be oh you 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 lost no money like you, you, <laughs> right? You are
0: one of the richest families in the country. Like, you can, like, okay, congrats on paying income tax. You probably don't even pull that much of an income because no. all of the wealth it's is already inher- hoarded. It's the inheritance, right? Anywhere. Like, oh my gosh, it's so frustrating. And I'll talk a little bit about sort of the. The soft power that they wielded in terms of the cultural conversation, how royalty is portrayed in pop culture generally, in particular in America, which I find very weird that we still love our portrayals of royalty and relatable royals in particular. But before that, I do want to talk about a specific example of... Britain's harm, even post-independence for a country. And that country is Nigeria. (laughs) So the United Kingdom first occupied Nigeria in 1851 and uh, formally annexed us as a colony in 1865. Nigeria then gained independence in 1960. And the first 10 years of our independence were bloody, as in There's a literal bloody coup in 1966. The military took over and that established military rule. The following year, the Biafran Separatist Movement formed the Republic of Biafra, which kicked off the Biafran War. That's also referred to as the Nigerian Civil War, really depending on who you ask. And so that was between, for the most part, that separatist movement was led by the Igbo tribe against the Yoruba tribe, which is my tribe. They didn't want to be part of a nation that was led by Yorubas, who officially and unofficially treated them like second-class citizens. And really, it makes a lot of sense. Our cultures are different, our languages are different, and to a lot of people, a national identity that was externally imposed on us by, you know, a colonizing force didn't make as much sense as a tribal identity that you're actually raised in, that you actually, you know, you speak the language, you have the culture, this is what your family and your friends and your neighbors represent. And that's, that remains true, like your tribal identity remains true regardless of whether Nigeria is a colony or a protectorate or a republic or whatever. But I read a lot of memoirs and novels about the Biafran War, I think subconsciously wanting to get a different perspective from what I was taught as a kid, what I was raised with since my parents were both Yoruba, since my dad's mom it was a British citizen. She gave up her British citizenship because she married an African man which, you know, it's another way that Britain is just so cute. <laughs> Elizabeth was queen at the time, so it's just it's just charming and lovable. But my mom is very much a royalist, very much supports the queen, very much supports the British monarchy. And it makes sense to me that she would also still be supporting the Yoruba side of the Biafran War. But it wasn't until a few years ago that I found out how involved the UK was in the war, specifically because they kept it very quiet. Like, they did a pretty incredible cover-up job. And by that, you mean
1: like the UK? The UK
0: government, mm-hmm. yeah. It was, they were supplying Nigeria with weapons and with propaganda. They helped a lot with strategy. They helped with the bombing of that part of Nigeria, which was, ref- like, which became the Republic of Biafra for just three years. Because Nigeria remaining one unified nation was really important to the UK. Can you guess why? assuming it has something to do with resources.
1: And oil. Yeah. Yes,
0: yeah. exactly. <laughs> Our most valuable export is oil. And The UK did not want to see that asset endangered in any way because it would mean that they would have to become more reliant on oil from elsewhere. And they didn't want to get involved in that. They wanted to be able to sort of keep their assets diverse, Mm -hmm. especially their Nigerian asset. And so they supported the Yoruba government very explicitly. They also silenced any journalists who were covering the war from the Biafran perspective, which is to say, like honestly and like actually portraying what was going on because they had a big it's similar to how russia talked about the war with ukraine they said oh this will be over in two weeks we've got this all sewn up and that didn't turn out to be the case at all this war went on for three years started in 1967 in 1969 is when pictures started coming out across the world especially in britain Pictures of starving children with the distended stomachs, like Mm -hmm. having the severe protein deficiency, just evidence of what was actually happening to these people. And Britain realized this is going to be terrible. Like, people know how involved we are in this. It's going to be a PR nightmare. So they, you know. They really worked hard to cover up their involvement in it, and that was matched with a huge amount of foreign aid to put sending doctors in, sending, you know, like all sorts of resources to help mitigate the disease, to help mitigate the famine, mitigate the, you know, massive displacement. And this isn't like this is not their first radio. Right. This is not the first <laughs> like, time that they have completely decimated an entire you know population. so they've done this before and they've they've rewritten history before to make themselves mm-hmm. either the victors or not even involved.
1: I think I and mean, it it kind of speaks to like the larger legacy of colonialism and what does it mean to complete what does it mean to come into a place, completely draw artificial lines? Mm-hmm. I mean it like it's invasion, displacement or destruction of local government and power, displacement of people, leave and make sure that whatever gains that you've got are protected in that process. Like that's, that's the process.
0: It's copy paste. Like you can go country to country, you can go invading force to occupying force across the world. And it's the same playbook. And the people who need the most help and the most protection are the ones who are the most screwed over, the ones who tend to be brutalized the most. But yeah, history is written by the victors and... It also didn't hurt that the Vietnam War was going on at the same time. And so America, as a military superpower, was not paying attention to this at all. And I don't think most Americans know about this conflict at all. It's just one that is particularly personally relevant to me because I feel like as somebody who benefits from being Yoruba, anytime I go home, like it's it matters that I'm Yoruba mm-hmm. and it matters. Yeah, I have a lot of cultural power when I go back home. And I feel like it's important to understand that power and to understand sort of where it came from and sort of... Yeah, so it bo- like, I don't know. I feel like I'm getting emotional talking about it because it bothers me. And the fallout is still happening. I mean, people are still mistreated based on what their tribe is to this day but this is something that again this happened while elizabeth was queen and it couldn't have happened without her say so it couldn't have happened without her own involvement and understanding of what her image was what the what the uk's image was first saying we need to protect the status quo because we don't want our assets to be endangered and then we need to protect the status quo which is our image being un untarnished. Mm-hmm. It's really violent. It's really harmful and it's something that gets covered up all too all too easily.
1: I think so we've done an episode. We d- we did an episode talking about the diaspora before yes. and i think part of that conversation was really going into i mean where that it, where that conversation ultimately ends up mm-hmm. is
0: that that i don't deserve reparations
1: <laughs> sounds like you deserve reparations but maybe <laughs> we all,
0: i don't we all deserve
1: <laughs> reparations the question is from whom
0: oh i like that
1: and i think that where, where that conversation ends though is just the what white supremacy has done globally Mm-hmm. specifically to descendants of the african continent but also uh, like the global south mm-hmm. but i think like what i mean just what you're explaining about post-independence nigeria demonstrates like what the crown represents is it, it represents global white supremacy and mm-hmm. like its most pure form mm-hmm. and and the violence that accompany, like the violence that is required in order to maintain that, and and so I think like that, when I hear people talking about you know stability, and tradition and like all these sort of things, like what they're talking about is the royals and the it's also important that we uphold this example of what whiteness is supposed to be and can yes. be yes. which is the only reason why the governor of ohio for example lowered flags to half staff to honor the queen from the country from which americans we fought violently expelled and, ourselves <laughs> <laughs> it's weird and and i mean even the everything around megan like the reaction to megan markle right mm-hmm. like yeah if you integrate the pillar of whiteness then that's that's a that is a disruptive that that's a disruption
0: yeah and it's interesting because i've had this argument me defending meghan markle <laughs> with my mother who does not like meghan markle and she says it's because meghan let us all down as black people that she couldn't basically she couldn't hack it and that she gave up and so it seems like we don't belong in you know this powerful place we don't belong in this these seats of power because she she was only in it to be a princess and once it turned out to be harder than all that, she gave up. And I'm like, first of all, we have to be, like we as black people have to be more than just our ability to suffer and our ability to withstand racism and real just like emotional violence. We have to be more than, we're not proving anything to anybody. Like us kowtowing to white supremacy and putting up with this, violence just to prove ourselves it hasn't gained us anything we haven't won anything and Megan Markle in particular has been so explicit about how it damaged her mental and emotional health how she had suicidal ideation and she was very clear about how she wanted to do it that's how miserable and unhappy she was and it's like yeah she shouldn't have been putting up with that none of us should be putting up with any of this this institution should not exist it is mm-hmm. causing so much individual and societal and global harm and it can it can keep on sort of perpetuating itself because there are enough people who say, oh, well, this is how things are. We should be aspiring to this model, to this ideal of white supremacy. And this, yeah, I mean, decorum is a huge part of it. Silence in the face of mm-hmm. suffering is a huge part of it because it means you're silent about the suffering that whiteness is causing mm-hmm. you. And so it just allows that harm to keep going. It's really awful. And I like, yeah, I am very... Proud is the wrong word to use because I don't know this girl, but I'm very proud of Meghan Markle. <laughs> like, I'm proud of, and I'm proud of her husband for realizing, oh, something fundamental has to change. We can't keep doing things the mm-hmm. way they were. I was just watching an interview that he did where he was talking about how his dad told him and his brother over and over again, this is how it was for me, so this is how it's going to be for mm-hmm. you. And he said, that's completely wrong. Like, If you suffer as a parent, yeah. you have to keep your child from suffering the exact same way. Like, We have to break the cycle. I feel that way about this institution in general. Like, just because we had it seventy years ago doesn't mean we still need it. Like, there's no reason for this institution to
1: exist. Going back to your earlier point, that like you said, it's a country celebrates its independence from Britain once a week mm-hmm. around the year. I mean, there's a reason. Like, so 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 the global feeling towards the British monarchy has been made clear. Over the course of like two hundred and fifty years, right. right, like it's been pretty. We don't co- want it. <laughs> it's, been, it's been pretty consistent, and so I think you know the the choice of folk who to argue like the importance and the necessity of the monarchy, in spite of two hundred and fifty years of active rebellion, mm-hmm. is is a choice. Like yes. it is, it's not popular. Globally, it's not a really popular thing. And whether or not, like, whether or not there's a substantial, you know, political movement to, like, I don't know what the process is over there. Like, I guess you get up there and Boris Johnson yells, and I don't, I don't, I don't
0: Boris fight, is not the... I'm, but I'm sure he's still
1: yelling. I don't, <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, Parliament's weird, but, like, you know, that said, I, so regardless of, like, the political fervor behind doing the actual technical process of, taking away their money or
0: mm-hmm.
1: not making them pay rent I don't know what like it's not a popular thing mm-hmm. at, at large
0: yeah well I do want to talk a little bit later about the difference between monarchist and royalists because they were very much the same thing I think until Queen Elizabeth died and now there's this huge like now there's going to be a rift and I'm interested to see what happens okay. but
1: so go ahead I've never I don't know the difference between monarchists and, and royalists at all. Well, we we can can get into it.
0: No, no, no. We can get into it right now. So... A monarch, me and my pages. A monarchist supports the system of government regardless of who the actual monarch is. So do you remember in Black Panther when Okoye the General and Nakia, (laughs) your girlfriend Lupita, were having that argument about like, are we supporting Mm -hmm. Killmonger or not? Okoye is the monarchist because she says, I support the throne, I support the crown, it doesn't matter who the king is. And she said like when, (laughs) Nakia says, but he killed T'Challa. Okoye's response is, in ritual combat. Like, that's the system. That's how it goes. So she is a monarchist. So she was going to be Killmonger's general, just like she was T'Challa's. Whereas Nakia is a royalist. She supports a particular person to be the monarch, but doesn't necessarily support the entire system. And that's part of why I think she was a spy, that she her allegiance to the country is kind of... Wishy washy is conditional. Word. Yeah, it's conditional. That's exactly right. It's very conditional. And because she supports T'Challa, she supports him as king. But if he's not the king, who knows how she's going to feel about it? So that's really the difference between the two. Part of the role of pageantry, like that sort of governmental pageantry in general, is to dazzle the audience, like dazzle your residents, dazzle dazzle your citizens, and to lower your standards. And with the British monarchy, the pageantry also sort of seeks to collapse your love of country into your love of the monarch, into your love of the entire system, like the entire monarchical system. So you love Queen Elizabeth and therefore you love the British monarchy because you love, you know, the United Kingdom. I don't know how effective that will be with Charles because people don't like him. (laughs) He (laughs) has been been disliked for a very long time. (laughs) And I don't know, like, there's also the fact that When I say people like Queen Elizabeth, I mean English people. I don't mean Irish people. I don't mean Scottish Mm -hmm. people. There is a strong Scottish independence movement. They voted to become independent. They had a vote on independence once before. And I think now that they have a very unpopular monarch Mm -hmm. in that chair, I wouldn't be surprised if the vote went differently if they had it again sometime soon. Ireland obviously does not love the monarchy because of how destructive it has been to their country and to their history. So I'm interested... Yeah, they were really on one the day of. (laughs) They were. Irish Twitter was... (laughs) And it was interesting, too, because you saw who was getting flack for being on one Mm -hmm. after she died. Irish Twitter was being absolutely out of pocket. People were upset at diaspora Twitter. (laughs) Yes, people were were upset in particular at African and Black mm -hmm, women. mm -hmm. But they were not upset at Irish people... Irish dancing outside of par- outside of Buckingham Palace. They were
1: yelling Lizzie's in a box. I was like right. in like, my job, I was like it's like,
0: so They're happy. They don't want this. But yeah, the people don't like Charles. Like they don't like even if they like the idea of a monarchy as long as they like the monarch, like they don't like charles so i don't know how much actual power he's going to have i don't know how much power they're going to have to withstand sort of an anti-monarchist sentiment mm. that will probably be on the rise like the most recent season of the crown was so damaging to charles's public image in particular that the british culture secretary made a request that netflix make it clear this is a work of fiction Because he spent the past 20 years trying to rebuild his public image because he knew he was going to be king someday. Mm -hmm. And he was like, I need these people to like me. And so, like, he married Camilla. Like, he, you know, he's doing all of this stuff. He's talking about environmentalism and all of this stuff. And he was doing a decent job. And then the fact that it was, you know, an anniversary, a huge anniversary of Princess Diana's death. And so the media was hyper focused on her for a long time. Like, all of his work to make his public image more positive has been completely erased and people don't like him again. There's also those grotesque pictures. You sent me one. I keep on seeing them on Twitter. Just close-ups of his weird, meaty hands. (laughs) Like, people are repulsed by him. (laughs) And there's the fact that, like... He's seventy years old. Look, so, so, after, like, so
1: after I sent that, I was like, "Oh, I feel bad. I don't want to pick on this old man." But then I remember, like, no, he's, he's a
0: king. Like you yeah, can pick on him. Like it's fine. He's <laughs> he's never gonna know you when you die. If he's still alive, he's not gonna know. Like it's fine. So I'm interested to see where this goes from here because the pro monarchy sentiment is likely gonna dip after we're done. Publicly, we after we're done publicly mourning the queen, mm-hmm. now that we have a king that everybody looks at as like this guy who should be in jail. <laughs> to be clear, <laughs> for what?
1: I mean, any number of things. Most recently, though, like the pedophilia.
0: That's not him. That's his brother. That's Prince Andrew. Is it really? Yes. Um, Jesus. Yeah. Unfortunately, <laughs> that family has a lot <laughs> of horrible scandals. And here's another thing about this sort of like not taking a stance on something, not being quote-unquote political, not, you know, speaking out about issues. Prince Andrew, with his, you know, with the accusations of sexual assault, with his close relationship with Jeffrey Epstein, like, just in general, something more should have been done than to just strip him of his royal responsibilities. And that's all they did. And for the all of the different funeral services that are going to be going on, he's going to be in civilian dress as opposed to military dress.
1: That's his punishment.
0: That's his punishment. He'll be in, I read this, he'll be in military dress for the final, I think the final vigil, just because he was an officer. But everything, everything else, he's just wearing, you know, like a suit. And I'm like, that's not punishment. Like, that's not actually punishment. That's just PR. That's nothing meaningful. And there's so, like, This family is so violent, again, in personal ways, in societal ways and in global ways, and they just keep on getting away with it. Mm. I mean, just today, and we're recording this, you know, September 12th, just today, a man was arrested for screaming at the funeral procession. (laughs) You're a sick old man, Prince Andrew. (laughs) And he was interviewed afterwards and he said, I don't believe that powerful rich men should commit assault and get away with it. Like, that's his whole complaint. It's a legitimate complaint, but he's seen as the, you know, by the state, he's seen as the bad guy here. Mm -hmm.
1: Well, again, like, it, you know, it's not an exception that the royal family and this royal family in particular, you know, is violent. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, it is, it is a natural, it is a, it is a necessary part of their role. Like, they came to power via violence Mm -hmm. they have the jewels that they have Mm -hmm. the little the literal like stones like uh, because of violence i mean everything that they have buckingham like all of that the money the wealth all of that is predicated on extreme violence of all sorts like of the degrees like from genocide to to just very personal Mm -hmm. one-to-one violence and so it's it's not the exception, right? It's, right? it's how they exist.
0: Yeah, it's like from small scale to large scale, there's so many examples of their violence. But yeah, Charles is <laughs> Charles is just a terrible husband <laughs> and father <laughs> and has something wrong with his hands. Probably a circulation issue.
1: If you'd like to support the show, you can get your How Do You Want Your Reparations t-shirt and or mug at www.attheintersection.bigcartel.com.
0: Oh, man. So, yeah. So I wanted to talk to you about The Crown, because I know you are a history buff and that you watch the whole show. And I've only seen the season with Diana. So I wanted to ask you just sort of. Yeah. How do you like it? And like, how does it how does it portray this family?
1: I mean, so how do I like it? I, so I didn't watch The Crown until right before I started watching right before season four got released which is the one with diana mm-hmm. the reason being so when princess diana died i was
0: i guess in elementary school i was also in elementary school i know that i'm a lot older than you.
1: <laughs> but you know it was one of those things that it was just all of the news and i didn't know who princess diana was before she died mm-hmm. but afterwards it was made very clear that like she died she was the good one and the people's the, princess but yeah and there was an issue with the there was a huge issue with the royal family and she was treated poorly and these are all the things i'm receiving as a small child so Mm -hmm. kind of that was my that was my entire orientation to the to the royal court or whatever are they they call themselves the royal court i don't know
0: the royal family the royal family they also refer to themselves as the firm i think when they're talking about like you know like actually when they're talking about you know like public communication stuff like that like the firm yeah
1: so anyway that that was that's my understanding of them so I wanted to, I was excited about season four, which is going to be talking about Diana because I was like, oh, it'll be interesting to like see this narrative as an adult
0: mm-hmm. that I
1: experienced as a child. Mm-hmm. But I also wanted to understand what led up to
0: that. And so... This is the same reason that you couldn't finish the Lord of the Rings film trilogy because <laughs> you had to do all of the backstory reading. <laughs> I need to see some maps and some genealogical I charts. I know what
1: I was watching. <laughs> <laughs> but so so yeah, I, I I pretty much binged seasons one through three. And I mean, I thought it was pretty fascinating. Like it 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 looked very much it felt like watching somebody play with, like, you know, play make-believe. I think that if you watch it and you suspend, suspend all reality, like, you can get... Also, look, so I I like a particular version of reality TV.
0: Um, and so, uh-huh. <laughs> what version is that?
1: Which is, like... The kind just, that's
0: actually scripted and <laughs> cast yeah, like, with
1: actors. I, I, I like... I, yeah, I like seeing people with zero stakes experience completely fictional drama. Like... <laughs> And so I feel like the crown was 100% that. Like, gotcha. it was all these ridiculous things, all this ridiculous interpolitics. I mean, also the, the way that they talked about the crown's role in World War II and, mm-hmm. like, where money was coming from and, like, their alliances with, like, real-life Nazis. And so, like, I, I thought that all that was the way, the, the opportunities that they took to probably bring to light things that... the family themselves would not like brought to light that was enjoyable to watch and then the drama like you know they did they spent a lot of time on elizabeth obviously she is and the crown her sister and mm. they really painted her as like this you know almost reluctant monarch who kind of was forced into her position right like her dad her father was not supposed to be see this is all stuff that i i don't i this is no stuff you're right in my brain. Her, her father
0: was not the like, no her
1: father was the second born son mm-hmm. and his brother abdicated the throne mm-hmm. this is all stuff that I, Nazi Nazi is yes. that I don't want to know this <laughs> is information that i
0: don't but it's all true it's all it's all history
1: so so you know all of watching all of that in kind of a reality TV format kind of side by side to like my understanding of colonialism and british history mm-hmm. was interesting but i was uh, i watched all of it to understand what they did to diana so that's that's my take on the ground
0: got gotcha, you got gotcha. you Well, that's great. That's helpful. Because I, yeah, like I said, I only watched the first season and what I know of the previous, or I only watched the fourth season and what I know of the previous seasons is just what I've read and the clips that I've seen. So I know in the first two seasons, at least, she is portrayed as, you use the exact term, the reluctant monarch. And that is a real trope in particularly American depictions of royalty because we are not necessarily comfortable with the idea of that level of power inherited power unless there is a reluctance or unless it's earned through you know a Cinderella story like somebody shows their virtue and their physical beauty usually and gets to marry into this powerful family because they're such a good person the way that you show you're a good person if you were born into something is that you're reluctant to be it i mean prince Akeem from coming to america is mm-hmm. one example that mm-hmm. we like him because he's like we've been denied real life i have to go to queens to find mm-hmm. my queen like i need a woman who's gonna you know challenge my intellect and arouse my loins like that's that's why we like him because he's down to earth so to speak but yeah the elizabeth's past follows the relatable royal like trope very perfectly we meet her before she's a queen so she's not already got this amount of power like we meet prince Akeem when he's a prince as opposed to a king she's unprepared emotionally for the responsibility which is actually thrust upon her that her father dies and she has to become queen when she's really young she happens Um, to be
1: traveling she's in kenya
0: yes on a royal tour yes and i know like which is hilarious because like she's in kenya a place of you know that they have the violently colonized. And she's there in order to be the pretty face of colonialism. But I know in the show that they make a point, which is true, that she was not immediately notified of her father's death, that they let her continue some of her duties for the day and then told her, oh, you're queen now, by the way. (laughs) Condolences about your loss. So we get to know her personality more before she becomes queen. And so... We see her ascension to the throne as a sacrifice as opposed to taking on power because she has to stop. She cannot be her true self. She has to be a royal. She has to be a queen. Unless she choose to abdicate. Exactly, which you know the family couldn't survive another abdication so soon after her uncle abdicated. I would
1: abdicate immediately, immediately, immediately.
0: And that, I mean, like, I would there's... have my
1: abdication form already typed <laughs> like... up. It'd be
0: in the draft. <laughs> You're like, I've been waiting. Uh, if you actually go to my desktop, there's a file <laughs> marked "I don't want it." Oh, that's another one. What's his name? John Snow from Game of Thrones. He's another reluctant mm-hmm. royal. Mm-hmm. The only. And again, I only watched the last season of Game of Thrones, but his most... Recurring phrase was "I don't want it." When people said you were supposed to take the. Throne. This is actually
1: very similar to Jack Ryan and. Uh...
0: Yes! Oh my gosh, it absolutely is. So y'all listen to our episode about <laughs> Jim Halpert being the face of American exceptionalism. But yes, J- Jack Ryan always says, "I'm an analyst." Whenever he's asked to be a typical alpha hero, and then he performs that, he performs that role perfectly. Just like the reluctant royal ends up being the perfect person for that job because they reluctant. Shows that they're actually a good person. Blah, blah blah. It's a whole thing. And so you see, there are a lot of other ways that they humanize Elizabeth in this show. And that's the goal of these shows, like the relatable royal. Like you have to humanize them so you can see, you know, so that you can buy into the fact that they have this exorbitant amount of power. And so she feels a huge responsibility to live up to her role. She loves her father and she doesn't want to let him down she is insecure about her looks when you compare her to her more glamorous peers like jackie kennedy that's a whole plot point which is a really quick way to get you to sympathize with someone even though they're played by a very beautiful actress you're like oh i'm insecure about my looks too this i'm just like her and then the awful decisions that she either makes or enforces are seen as tragic because Mm. She's making decisions that are bigger than her. She has responsibilities Mm -hmm. that are bigger than her, and she's making them out of duty to the throne as opposed to being an unkind person, as opposed to having malice towards her sister, towards those two secret relatives Mm -hmm. that the family has kept hidden away, towards her children. Her duty is so much bigger than any of us could possibly imagine, and she doesn't enjoy inflicting this harm on them, but she has to do it, which can then, you know, substitute for the harm that she inflicts on... The colonies the harm that she inflicts on the culture in general she has to do it because the the throne is so much more important so yeah that is just one huge example of the relatable royal trope and how it's a way to wield soft power for anyone who's in power you're not just enforcing Legislation. You're not just, you know, hoarding all of this very material power. You're also making sure that pop culture or you're also being portrayed in pop culture as relatable, as accessible, as human. And so subconsciously, we are all much more comfortable with royalty and the fact of monarchy than we should be. We should not be comfortable with it at all. It is an obscene hoarding of power and wealth at the expense of other people, other nations, you know, independence as a whole but we like our royalty stories and I do find it very very weird and interesting that Americans like royal stories so much and we love Cinderella stories we were so hype about Meghan Markle becoming a princess like it's it's interesting that even though again like you said earlier we very specifically did not want to be part of this monarchy and yet we are still so enthralled to to royalty, it's it's interesting and it's how it can keep on reinforcing itself.
1: So I, I think it's really interesting kind of what you said about your mother's orientation towards Meghan Markle and thinking about it's not a direct relation, but like I think it fits into the same category of the utility of respectability politics mm. and proximity to power as a survival tool. And I think like one thing many of us in the diaspora have learned is that like proximity to power can buy some sort of either protection mm. either perceived or otherwise Like if you don't have if you have zero other if the options are either dismantling the system
0: mm-hmm.
1: or integrating into the system and the system has been killing everybody around you it's not an unreasonable thing to want to integrate into that system right. and so i can see on one hand like this Not really front top of mind, but like this orientation towards the royal court. Sorry, I keep calling the royal court. I'm not gonna stop.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You're not hurting anybody. This
1: this orientation towards the royals, especially as they've been kind of marketed as like more ceremonial and less political. So I can I can kind of see this association of like here's this thing that's powerful. If we can associate with it, then like there's you know benefits. There's yeah, there's benefits in that. So I can I can understand that orientation. Also I, I, the the other side of that, you know, Queen Elizabeth coin is that <laughs> again, because of how they're representing whiteness, like I can again, I, I don't know how you explain the governor of Ohio deciding to lower stacks half you know, their flags to half staff other than, you know, mourning this pillar of what whiteness is and what whiteness means and i think also like the successfulness of which the crown has managed to disassociate itself with the atrocities that it has committed right like Mm -hmm. it's a textbook case and like how do you maintain how do you transition white supremacy power from you know very very blunt imperialism to, like, this more soft, soft imp- yeah. you know, soft imperialism.
0: Yeah, and I mean, part of that strategy is to, like, making sure that all of the, not all of the, but, like, anyone who could possibly become king, they had to have somebody beautiful by their side. Like, they had to marry someone beautiful. That much is clear that Charles had to marry this and it was a big deal. Like, but he had to marry this beautiful woman who was of noble blood. He had to marry Diana. That William and Kate, even though Kate was technically not of noble blood, her family was extremely rich, and she's like she looks like a cake topper, like <laughs> right? Like she looks like she comes from a, and like she looks like if you tell a seven-year-old white girl draw a princess, they're gonna draw mm. someone who looks exactly like you know Kate Middleton. And that's not what she's called anymore. It's Princess Catherine or something. Anyway, but yeah, like that's part of it. Is that her
1: new name as of like this week or?
0: No, she, that's true. I think she's probably a princess now that she was not before. She was like, I think a duchess. Mm. They have, they have a very complicated structure and system and your title, like when my mom texted me about the queen's health taking a quote unquote worrying turn, she referred to her as H.M. Queen Elizabeth, as in Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth. And I'm like, y'all have such specific hierarchies and nomenclatures and all this stuff. And y'all are so bent out of shape about trans people asking you to call them by their pronouns. Like, what? How? Make it make sense. Like You're going by Duchess. (laughs) Right. Like, y'all are legitimately being like, it's actually, it's Earl. He's not a duke. And it's like, who cares? (laughs) No one Duchess
1: I know is (laughs) Fergie.
0: Anyway, stupid.
1: Honestly, when they said London Bridge, Operation London Bridge, I had that song You're stuck like... in my head all
0: day. <laughs> oh shit! Oh, did they not think about that before? I would have. I would Well, you know why she calls herself that? I don't know. <laughs> I'm not even gonna... Prince Andrew's ex-wife was Sarah Ferguson, and she everyone called her Fergie. Everyone still calls her Fergie. Oh, She's okay. still out here. Oh. So yeah, that's where that's where Fergie Ferg got it. Mm. That's why she calls herself the Duchess because ah. Sarah Ferguson was a Duchess. Okay. But yeah, like part of part of having people still love the royal family is making sure that there are beautiful white women associated with it, which is why it seems like they were clinging so tight to this idea that Diana was going to come around eventually to how they wanted the royal family to behave, and that you know they needed this beautiful noble woman to beautify charles's image and to beautify the image of the royal family same with kate middleton like she i mean she doesn't seem like she had much of a personality before but she definitely molded herself in the right image when she needed to and Meghan markle they're like oh she's not not well that's a problem (laughs) (laughs) but yeah it's interesting and of course like like you said the sort of protection that you get from aligning yourself with power like we see white women doing that all the time that is that is how white feminism works that is how that is how just like white womanhood in america has worked for so long they're aligning themselves with whatever is powerful and distancing themselves from the people who are most brutalized because they're like oh don't please don't let me in with the black women because i see what y'all do to them i'm different i'm a white woman i support the patriarchy Mm -hmm.
1: so i wanted to talk about that though so one thing i i guess question or reflection i wanted from you was like Considering the fact that the head of the monarch has been a woman for 70 years, mm. how do you think that's impacted people's understanding or, like, their perception that they've given about the role of patriarchy and how patriarchy has been maintained mm. by elizabeth and what does it mean when charles takes over is it charles is, is that who
0: charles, charles yes <laughs> and he's i mean he's taken over he is officially king i don't know if his my, i don't know my, if the, not my king but <laughs> that, that not my king t'challa
1: but all <laughs>
0: right that is a really good question i don't know because like because you know that she did not align herself with explicit feminism and preferred this sort of again representational i am a woman doing this job and therefore <laughs> therefore you know like if you're a feminist you can say that this is a feminist act and if you're not you can say that this is just me fulfilling my family duty mm. and i don't i'm very interested actually to see how how it changes i mean britain has had was it two female prime ministers both of them trash both of them very hated but part of the reason they're hated is because they were wielding visible power. Mm-hmm. And nobody likes to see women wielding visible power. Mm-hmm. I don't know to answer your question, I don't know. I don't know how people are going to take this return to a patriarchal system with a patriarchy at the head of it, as opposed to a patriarchal system that is that has a woman at the head of it. I wonder if that will be part of its undoing. That people are like, you know what? <laughs> this is different. Like this is this is not what we're used to and we're starting to see the problem inherent in the system because we have a problem with this man.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I I guess I wonder how much being a man has never been an issue before.
0: Mm-mm. Why would, <coughs> why would be like it be an issue unless you are as universally disliked as this man is? <laughs> like.
1: This man in particular,
0: right? <laughs> <laughs> Might be a problem. <laughs> so we'll see. we'll see. So Brian, what are you reading?
1: So speaking of the Queen, mm-hmm. I just, you know, Queen Latifah and Ludacris have a new movie on Netflix. I found
0: out from Twitter, first of all, I found out from a tweet, somebody complaining, why hasn't Netflix told people about this?
1: Well, I saw I, I saw the movie with no, read nothing about it, hadn't heard, I, I heard that Queen Latifah and Ludacris had a movie.
0: Mm-hmm. It I sounds delightful. went straight delightful. to Netflix
1: <laughs> and watched it straight through, didn't read up anything on it beforehand. Mm-hmm and the only thing I'll say is that Queen Queen Latifah deserves a better script from Netflix she did what she could with the script that they gave her
0: Mm -hmm. which she's used to doing
1: I always love seeing Queen Latifah on camera Mm -hmm. doing her acting thing she was great and you know, Ludacris has has really carved out this really specific niche, and I love him in that niche. Like the same character that he plays in the Fast and Furious, Fast Furious Franchise. franchises, he's playing in this role. And like so
0: he's playing a mechanic turned tech expert. He does fix a car. Okay, he's they... he's not
1: a tech expert, but oh, like kind of. Yes,
0: yes.
1: <laughs> he's he's like he's he's. I mean, you know, he he does his role. Happy for Christopher Bridges and mm-hmm. the check that he got.
0: Two of them are very charismatic.
1: Mm-hmm the movie itself like I don't want to spend time talking about it. it was I don't yeah I'm not going to spend time Netflix should have done Queen Latifah better that's all I'm going to say both in the wig budget and in <laughs> the script itself because she had like I don't want to like, I feel like this is talking bad about Queen Latifah it's not it's not but like you know the Anthony Anderson lock wig thing what anytime on any there There are two ways to represent locks in cinema yes one is terribly, yes. and the other one is, is not terribly. Okay. And 95% of the representations seem to be like a wig. It's the same wig. It's
0: the wiggy-ass It's, the, it's, it's the a wiggy <laughs> <ass> wig, as <laughs> so, I call it.
1: So that's what they gave Queen Latifah. Oh, no. Um, is it
0: the same one that Old Girl was wearing on The Walking Dead?
1: It was a different color, but yeah, same Okay, same okay. gotcha, gotcha. Um, but, it, you know, I, I when think When was that-
0: Anthony Anderson wearing a...
1: I don't remember what movie it was, but it it's notoriously terrible.
0: It's not the Shamar Moore one that you're thinking of, is it? No, okay. it's Anthony Anderson. That's terrible. It's,
1: it's I don't. It may be in Barbershop. I don't. I don't. Remember it's not in it
0: Barbershop. It might be in Barbershop. I watched that. <laughs> I watched that like within the last year, and I was like, "This is way more respectability politics than I was than I remembered <laughs> from a barbershop movie." Are you pulling up the picture?
1: It's not Barbershop. Okay. <sighs> I'm sorry, but now I have to...
0: Was it Kangaroo Jack?
1: <laughs> Maybe. I don't...
0: I know it wasn't the Transformers movie because he didn't have... Yeah. He didn't have locks in that one.
1: This is going on for way too long. It was a scary movie. okay. That's what I'm watching.
0: <laughs> well, I can recommend, actually, an article from Vox.com that says, Why do wigs on TV look so awful? Because this is something... I was really... I felt very validated. My wife sent this to me because I complain. Like, I have... I think just because... I am one a black woman and two watch a lot of TV and movies. I'm very sensitive to wigs on screen, and anytime, I'm just like that's a wig, you can take a that's a the wig. Plot. Ooh, like, it's you... a wiggy ass wig. Like, <laughs> <You> can't focus. <laughs> like this most recent season of The Boys, I was like, how many times do I have to see these terrible lace fronts? Like this is I can see like y'all didn't even blend. Like this is <laughs> this is so disrespectful. <laughs> but yeah, t- it takes me out of it for sure because I'm like, well, now I'm like. Now I'm thinking about the behind-the-scenes stuff as opposed to thinking about the plot of this TV show. But yeah, that's not necessarily what I'm reading, but it is something that I am recommending. I'll check that out. read it. So as for me, I am reading this article in The Cut. I Won't Cry Over the Death of a Violent Oppressor. And it is partly about the professor at Carnegie Mellon, Uju Anya, who tweeted mm. about tweeted about the fact that she was not going to mourn Queen Elizabeth's death because of very specific reasons, partly because she is an evil woman who was was born shortly after the Biafran War. And so she lived firsthand the violence that this monarchy and that colonialism, has wreaked upon people. And she, Jeff Bezos, for some reason, Jeff Bezos decided to quote tweet her and she got, you know, censured by her university, by Carnegie Mellon. She's had to like she was put in Twitter jail essentially. And she was getting so many, so much violent responses because she was talking about her truth, her lived experience. And so really recommend that article. And I also just finished this most recent season of What We Do in the Shadows, which is a delightful show. I'm watching on Hulu, and I have liked it so far. The most recent season I absolutely loved. It is one of my favorites. It's up there with reservation dogs for me in terms of, like, this is just solid gold TV. It was so funny and so moving, and there's an episode that I was hoping was going to happen. They kept on teasing this... um, go flip yourself show that was like supposed to be two twins who like do this HGTV like TV show. And they did an episode that just was that show. And I was so, I was beside myself. I was so happy. <laughs> it was just so funny as somebody who watched a lot of property brothers. Yeah, it's wonderful. So that's what I'm watching.
1: Very good. I'll check that out. I, I, I was surprised her tweet. Cause I read it before it got like deleted or whatever mm-hmm. off of Twitter or, or whatever they did to it <laughs> they erased it and then after i saw that like elon musk had retweeted and all this other stuff i had to go back and find a screenshot of it because i was like i don't remember it being that bad actually in my where my mind went to was did she get in trouble did carnegie mellon get on her for the or- original tweet
0: or her response responses to some- <laughs> <laughs> she got she <laughs> i assumed <laughs>
1: I assumed it was the latter. I assumed it and was. And it
0: actually wasn't. That's
1: that's what surprised me. I was like, she didn't say anything
0: that yeah, was not true. Right. And I don't. But she messed with Carnegie Mellon's money mm-hmm. because they have Amazon money. And Amazon's going to keep on coming up in our episodes, I think. That's our show. Thanks for listening. We record our show in Queenie's in downtown Durham. Our music was produced by DJ Seven Keys. You can find more of him and his music at www.sevenkeysbeats.com and on Instagram at at Mr. Underscore Seven Keys. That's the numeral seven on both. You can follow us on all social media at at the podcast. That's A-T-T-H-E-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. And we have merch. Get your How Do You Want Your Reparations t-shirt and or mug at www.attheintersection.bigcartel.com.
1: Our website is www.at the intersection.com where you can find all of our episodes and you can go there to lob us some financial support if you'd like to. Send us your comments, your questions, your suggestions to at the intersection of at gmail.com. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else. That podcast I found.
0: I probably still isn't where's I is. Where's Fergie
1: from? We're not, this is not the episode for
0: Well, me. our Fergie? Yeah,
1: where's our Fergie from? She's pulling the 21 Savage on the switch. Oh,
0: imagine.
1: <laughs> Somebody said, I has anybody has checked Has anyone it? checked
0: it on? <laughs> 21 Savage, are you okay? <laughs> How are you coping with the loss? <laughs>